0: John, chapter 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench where he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that your word would go forth and that the ears that hear it would receive it and faith be born. I ask that your message be one clear and concise, but also timely, relevant, and that it can move our lives in the direction you would have them to go. Build this up, Heavenly Father, by Your Word and strengthen us as Your church. I pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I've heard a lot of people say, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. I remember uh, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and my dad and I would talk about baseball and I'd say dad this is the year this is the year Cubs are gonna win it and my dad would always say I will believe it when I see it until then they're not gonna win a thing they did not win a single series in his lifetime he even said to me they they need to win only once one every 100 years and they already did this century and so, my dad would say stuff like that, but he got me to understand a lot of people have like that same mentality. In other words, you've got to prove it for me to see it and believe that it's true. A lot of people are that way. Even the man named Thomas in the New Testament is famous for being a doubter when he said, unless I see and touch, I will by no means believe. But we do live in a proven world. Bottom lines, profit and loss, margins, all these different things. We want sure things, and there aren't too many. We want proof so we can act safely, securely, and confidently. We want to know that what we really put our stake into, our heart into, and invest our time with, really makes a difference and makes a life worth having. And we want proof to make that investment. Unfortunately, we don't always get that proof. Sometimes we have to trust in areas where proof isn't available. But why do we want proof? And why do we relate to doubting Thomas so well? It's because of what Jesus said, and what Paul also said, is that many people seek signs and wonders in order to believe that God is true, that Jesus is who He said He was, that the Gospel is really a factual thing. And Jesus, when He was... Asked, why don't you give us a sign or a miracle? And Jesus said, the only sign that's going to be given to this generation is the sign of Jonah. I just read Jonah this week. And so I know the sign of Jonah is a person buried in the sea for three days. And then, if you will, resurrected from the depths to go give gospel of repentance to Nineveh. That's the only sign that generation is to be given in Jesus prophetically speaking about his death. The only sign that this generation, that that generation needs, is Jesus Christ, crucifixion, and resurrection. It's the only sign you need. But people see that as a matter of trust and belief, not a sign. If you look at our passage today, There are a lot of things Jesus is pulling out from earlier in this Gospel and in this chapter. In verse 25, He tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He said He's resurrection. And resurrection is bigger than life. Because life comes with death at the end. But resurrection overcomes death. So no matter what happens... No matter what this world brings about, resurrection is in Christ. Atomic devastation cannot stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being burned at the stake like martyrs were cannot stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being shamed or nullified or vilified by other people and ostracized cannot stop the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Resurrection overcomes death and supersedes the power of life. So I want you to know that because when Jesus tells Martha He is the resurrection, she does not understand what that means. When He asks her if she believes that, she says, I know you're the Christ one who's to come, but she has no faith. She has no idea what resurrection looks like. Until that day, That day, she has no idea what resurrection is. She's heard about the stories of the young girl being raised from the dead, but she wasn't there. And she's heard stories about that, but this Lazarus is dead. There is no way possible for this man to come back to life. He is a decaying, as we find out, rotting and smelly corpse. At this point, as a matter of fact, in verse 41, when Jesus tells them to take away the stone, it took a few people to do it. They had to move it. It was a large stone. But that moving of that stone by the people who did that in response to Jesus's command, which was simply roll away or take away the stone, that act of obedience is the first act of faith in this story. It's the very first act of obedience. And it happened when observation and necessity would say, don't do that. It contradicts logic to roll away a stone and let that stinky smell out of there. It's going to be really rough. But they did it in obedience and in faith to trust Jesus. Now, I'm going to simply put this to your mind so you might think about this. They don't really know who Jesus is. They know he, he's a friend of the family. And they've heard about him. And they've heard stories. But they don't know who he is really. But he tells them to move away the stone. And he commands such authority that they do it. When the voice of God speaks with a command, people respond in faith. They do what he says. Because somewhere or another, deep inside, it resonates at a level that someone else saying, hey, go do that, wouldn't do. Same verse in 41, it says, he looked up the one who inhabits the heavens when he prayed. He didn't bow his eyes. He didn't close down. It says God inhabits the heavens. And so he looked up and lifting his eyes, he spoke, not lowering his eyes as he spoke, but looking up like this. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But he said this also. I know you always Hear me. Do you know that? Your Heavenly Father always hears you. He can hear the voice of the lowest sinner to the most adored angel and his son, and all in between. He hears their voice. God has ears for your voice. He's listening, He wants to hear what you say. In verse 40, Jesus asks Martha to remember the promise to believe and says, don't you remember I said, if you believe you would see God's glory. Well, if you look back in verse four, word has come from Mary and Martha to Jesus and said, the one you love is sick. Jesus said this when he heard that. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. That is the message he gave to the messenger and sent it back to Mary and Martha. That is what he's referring to when he says that. When he says to her, did I not tell you? or say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. That's verse 40. He told her through a messenger, but she got the message that this sickness is not unto death. It's what he tells them, verse 4. It's not to death, but he's dead. Do you understand? There's a contradiction here that says there are certain things in life that I have to see to believe and this man is dead. And therefore, what you said to believe that it wasn't unto death contradicts that. Everything inside of you can be going, God, You just this doesn't make any sense. But if God said it, it's totally reliable. Building an ark in the middle of a desert for 120 years against the tractors and naysayers wasn't logical or sensible either. <laughs> but Noah did it. And he didn't see a cloud of rain. In a desert, nor did he see floods or pools of water, but God said, Do it, and for 120 years he was obedient without rain. Do you understand, God is infinitely trustable. When he says to do something, he's going to give you the time to adjust and do it and make things happen the way he said they would. In verse 39, Martha believes. Actually, she knows Lazarus is dead. He's beyond hope. We talked about this other day. Four days dead. She even says, "By now, there's a stench." They didn't have embalming fluid. They had wrapped him up, anointed him with some oils, and put him in a in a hewed-out tomb in side of a rock or mountain and rolled the stone in front of it and that was that that was the end of the burial process but four days in there and the body's already decaying she's not wrong he's decaying rotting flesh by then it's already started the process she's not wrong that all flesh after a few days starts to smell I mean, you you can't get away with it. our stuff in the food pantry. We get a little stuff out there in a few days. It's rough. And, And flesh has its own particular, very difficult to handle odor when it's decaying and rotting. Now, I say this because he's dead. There's no question that his physical body is beyond human hope. Yet Jesus has said to her, this isn't unto death. How is it possible that's so when he's dead? How is it possible it's not unto death when the funeral's already taking place? How is that possible? She cannot see that. She cannot understand who Jesus is, what kind of power he has. But he told her he will rise again. That he is not sick to death. He will rise again. Those are the two statements he says directly to her. One through a messenger and one face to face. And she still says, don't move the stone. It's bad news in there. There is no, he's going to rise again today. There is no hope in Martha for what Jesus said. Because hope doesn't hope if it doesn't believe that one who promised can do it. Faith comes before hope. We try to get that the other way around. Well, if you can just show me some hope, then I'll believe. No, if you believe, then you can have some hope. That way. In verse 45, after Lazarus comes out of the grave, it says, Many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Him. Now, I say that, that they saw and believed. But we learn very quickly that that wasn't faith believe they believe jesus rose him from the dead but they didn't believe in jesus is what i'm trying to say and they didn't have faith that jesus was the son of god they could dismiss what they saw later and later they did they said well maybe he did that but this man needs to go he's a problem how is that a problem that a man who's the son of god righteous in all his ways is a problem unless you have no faith Jesus always meddles with the ones of no faith and makes them uncomfortable. Now, what we see here in this story is incredible. I was at Panera working on this and uh, Ali and Amy and MJ came in and I said, man, this is really good stuff. And I've been waiting all week to share this with you. I want to trace this with you, that Lazarus is dead. There's no question. It's not a question of, well, maybe he was in a coma. There is none of that. He had already come to the place where he's rotted a little bit. But if you read in Genesis, early on, God doesn't need more than just a little dirt to bring life to something. Just a form. As a matter of fact, in the very first part of Genesis, it says the world was formless and void. That was enough for him to make something relevant out of it. Gave it shape and life. And Adam, he formed out of the dust of the ground. And then he resurrected the dust into life. He took dirt. Understand, he didn't form organs and tissues. He breathed into dirt. Into dirt became flesh. Do you understand that? Sometimes we think, well, he just breathed into a body. He made, no, it says he formed him out of the dirt. They're, our organs are not dirt, okay? They're, they're tissue. Different stuff. God took dirt. Bring a pile of dirt and form it there and say this is going to live like tissues. You're going to say, no, that's not possible. Matter can't change form. God did that. He's resurrection. It's different than life. Life gives life, but resurrection defeats life. Overcomes it, I should say. Because life can be defeated by death. But nothing can overcome resurrection. I say that to you because if you look throughout the Scripture, you see a story unfold that bears the truth that if you believe, if you believe, you will see God's glory. Without question, if you believe, you will see God's glory I want to pull an example for you out of Exodus This story of Moses he goes up on the mountain talks with God comes back down the mountain and in verse 29 in chapter 34 he says now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone when he talked with him So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. Then Moses called to them and Aaron, and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. They did not know it was Moses, because his face shone, it says, like the sun, but brighter. Couldn't look at it, it was so bright. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them commandments, all that the Lord spoke with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out and would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he'd been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses shone, uh, face shone, Moses put the veil on his face again. Because they couldn't look at Moses, who was so bright. The veil was on Moses' face from the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. They saw it on Moses' face; didn't like it. They didn't believe. Let, let me tell you, it's a pretty mess. They wandered forty years. If they were the proven generation that said we need a proof of this miracle and work in God, they had it. They had ten plagues, the Passover through the Red Sea, water from the rock, manna, quail, all these miracles. And they said, we still don't think God can do anything for us. Because it was what they saw. It wasn't that they believed in God. They just wanted relief in a moment. They had a miracle in front of them. And they all sang songs about it. But they didn't have faith. A lot of people can see stuff, but after a while they can dismiss what they saw. And this is exactly what they did for 40 years. And God said, You've seen my glory in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. You've seen me. You've seen me consume sacrifices. You've watched this happen and you still don't have faith. Every day for 40 years, God's presence was with them in the wilderness, and they didn't believe in Him. And when God's glory came on the face of Moses, they didn't want to see it, because they were not people of faith. So, in other words, without faith, we are spiritually dead, like they were, disobedient, hard-hearted, and resistant to anything God wanted to do. You know, it would only take them a couple years maybe to get to the promised land if they'd have been 100% obedient. Maybe less. But they resisted God at every hand. When the spies went out, they said, These guys are too big for us. <laughs> we can't defeat them. And they believed the people who were of lack of faith. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, It's a great land. Let's go. They're big people. And Joshua said, we got a bigger God. Yeah, but we can't go. They're bigger than us. We're just grasshoppers. And their heart fainted because of lack of faith. They did not act. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it references this story of Moses. It's just such a, such a powerful instance of knowing what was happening by spiritual reference in that time. And in verse 13, it says, Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded for until this day, that same veil remains. Unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. The veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when you turn to the Lord, not for the miracle, but to the Lord for the Lord Himself, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as it is in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, like Moses had, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just by, as by the Spirit of the Lord. And in verse 3 it says in the next chapter, but even if this gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Now, hear what Paul is saying, that that veil is taken away in Christ and removed so we can see the glory of God. Not the miracles, but God's glory in the face of Christ. So we can gaze at Him and be revealed to us God's truth. And when Jesus spoke... Something happened. Oh, oh my goodness, did it happen. Let me tell you something. This is such a crucial verse in Romans chapter 10. Verse 17, you may have heard this verse before, and it just links everything together in all the scripture. It says, So then, faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. Does this say faith comes by seeing miracles there? Doesn't. Because if you saw miracles like you did in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have a problem with faith. But you have to hear God. You have to hear the Word of God. Obviously, that has to happen. And it has to come from the Gospel. And Jesus, at the tomb of... Of Lazarus. Says. Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus. He's dead. He stinks. Lazarus. In John chapter 5. Verse 25. I said it last week. Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. And those who hear, hear the word of God and they live. Lazarus, come forth. What was his first act? To come forth in obedience. So he comes out. But it doesn't say... Lazarus comes out. It says the one who died. There's no question he was dead. The one who died came out. and Now look at this picture of how he comes out. Because they took his hands and bound them to his sides. Wrapped them around. And they tightened up a wrap around his feet. So his feet and hands were wrapped tight to his body. And a veil was where, according to that verse? Uh It was on his face. Now you say, well, well, that's pretty neat. All that stuff. But what wasn't covered? His ears. What could he not do? He couldn't use his hands. He couldn't use his feet. They're useless dead. He couldn't smell. Couldn't see. Couldn't taste. He couldn't touch. But what did they leave open? The ears. The only thing a dead person can do is hear. They can have all the glory of God shine around them, but the veil's on their face and they misinterpret what it is. But when you hear the Word of God and faith comes to you, you believe God at His Word, then the veil is lifted and you can see it. It's not the other way around. Doubting Thomas wasn't a doubter, but one time throughout Scripture, he's a man of faith. He just doubted because he lost his friend. And when he saw him, he changed the world afterward because it intermingled faith with the Word. And what was the Word? Put your hands in my side. Thrust your hands there. Touch my hands and feet. See. See. Feel this is what he says to Thomas. This is great, and I say it to you today. Stop doubting and believe. Have faith in what God says is true. Believe it. It's true for you. A dead man had a veiled face, but Lazarus, when they took it off, said, Loose him and let him go so his hands and his feet and his eyes and his nose and his mouth can all be used again. To see and witness the glory of God. Lazarus could do that. The dead man could only hear. Faith comes by hearing even to those who are dead, dead, dead. And those who are walking around this planet are spiritually dead and odiferously unpleasant. Jesus said in Revelation, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And today we're going to commune, Holy Communion, agreeing and hearing what Jesus said. He says, take me at my word. Stop doubting and believe. Hear my word today. Psalm 95 said, do not harden your heart as in the days of the rebellion. But do not resist the Heavenly Father and His Son when He calls out. Let go of your resistance. Receive Him. Walk by faith, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We walk by faith, not by sight. But we keep getting it backwards. I want to prove it. If you believe and enter into belief with Him, you will see it. But you can't see God doing anything if you don't even believe He is who He says He is. So hear Him calling now. And he says this, Join me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. There was an argument in John chapter 6 going on. And Jesus, Jesus knew that this day was coming he's talking about himself when he says I am the bread of life your fathers a man in the wilderness and they're dead didn't have faith I am the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread which came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world to resurrect it. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. We get tempted so many times to believe it isn't true, that maybe it's a fairy tale made up. But when Jesus was confronted with the exact same scenario in the wilderness and in the desert, tempted by the devil, listen to what he said. And maybe you'll understand a little more why this is so powerful. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you understand? To live is to have faith. And every word that proceeds from the mouth of God brings you to life if you receive it in faith and act on it in obedience regardless of what you see because your sight can't see what God's got in mind for you. Even Ephesians says we can't think or imagine no ear can see, hear, no eye can see, no mind can think of the things God has in store for us to love Him. Such a powerful word. And all he's asked you to do is hear him. I'm going to prepare us for communion now with those words in mind of his, to join him, to follow him, that he is bread, he is life. But I promise you, the loaf of bread we're going to partake in is this communal loaf, which means one loaf broken, like he's one loaf broken for all. But if there's not faith that this act is what He said it is, an act of life-giving eternity by Him giving Himself for us and us receiving Him as He is, it remains a loaf of bread. And the, the juice in the cup remains just that. Generic grape juice. But faith. Faith in what He said. Gives life, which makes dirt into humanity and to a stinking, rotting corpse as a dead man returned to be Lazarus. Would you be in an attitude of prayer as I prepare? It was on the night in which Jesus was to be betrayed, he gathered with the disciples in the upper room for one last supper. And during the meal, he took bread, he broke it, gave thanks to God, and said, This is my body broken for you. Take it, eat, ye, all of it, as often as you will, in remembrance of what I've done for you. This act alone of eating a piece of bread will not save you. But that act alone in faith would transform this into the body of Christ and you into his body as well. After the supper was over, he took a cup. It was a cup of a promise and but Jesus changed the entire narrative for all history when he said, This is my blood shed for you and for many, the blood of the new covenant. A new covenant for the forgiveness of sins I now proclaim to you. So take and drink to ye all of it as often as you will in remembrance of me. And he lifted his eyes and gave thanks to the Father. He lifted his eyes and gave thanks to the Father that heard him. The Father hears the cry of your heart and Jesus is trying to give you to hear the cry of his. In communion today, May those two hearts combine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to pour out for us some this time and place through Holy Spirit. That we would be the body of Jesus Christ, and the fruit of the grape and this bread would be the body and blood of Jesus Christ to us. The power and strength of redemption. And Heavenly Father, as we gather for this, I ask. That you in this place and time will be glorified, lifted up, and established in us. Lord, may we hear you today. Do not resist the cry of your heart to ours. We've been hungry and thirsty for you for a long time, and our resistance all now. I pray this in your name. For Christ, you've come, you've risen, and you will come again. And finally, all things are ready here we come